Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'm also the Executive Director of the International Outreach and Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org. As well, we have a new ministry we want to make available to you, a website, www.savingevangelicals.com, and with it, a new book by the same title. God's Word challenges those who call themselves Christians to test themselves to see if they're in the faith. Jesus warned that many before his throne would discover that their assumptions of salvation were wrong, and he'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. I want you and those you love to have a solid assurance of saving faith. This book and this website are designed to guide a person into a biblical confidence in salvation, and it's meant to undermine any false confidence. Again, go to savingevangelicals.com to learn more and to order the book by the same name. We've taken up a consideration of the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. He would enter the stage of human history as the next great prophet to speak in Israel after 400 years of silence. His father was instructed by the angel Gabriel to name him John, which means God is gracious. It wasn't a name in his family. It was a new family name God was giving to all of us who will heed John's prophetic word. I want to make some observations here about how the grace of God is expressed in the giving of this baby, John the Baptist. The first thing I want to point out to you is I want to point out to you that there was a grace that is given when John came because John, as a prophet of God, came to finish the story or complete the revelation that God had given of the Messiah. If you take a hold of your Old Testament and you read your Old Testament without having any knowledge of the New and you just began to read through the Old Testament, maybe you read it repeatedly as Zacharias would have done, you'll have seen that although there are wonderful and beautiful things in the Old Testament, there are a number of unfinished things as well in the Old Testament that leave us off with a mystery, that leave the individuals who read it longing and anticipating for a Messiah to come to finish the course of what is revealed in the Old Testament. And so even today, the Jews are longing for a Messiah to come and to conclude all that is promised in the Old Testament. There's a wonderful book written by J. Sidlow Baxter called Explore the Book. After having done a review of all the books of the Old Testament, he expresses this incomplete element in the Old Testament that's completed in the story of the New. There, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see the emergence of a sacrificial system that's given to the people and around it all kinds of ceremonies and rituals that are to take place. But as you read through it, None of the rituals are explained, and none of the deep meaning of the sacrifices are explained as well, and the mystery behind how they fulfill or answer the need of mankind are not provided for as well. And so you have these ceremonies, you have these rituals, you have the individuals that are established to oversee the ritual and all the dress that they're to be adorned with, and none of it is, none of it is explained. And so you have unexplained ceremonies throughout the Old Testament that are never drawn to a conclusion and you never understand what their fulfillment is. And then if you continue to read through it or you read through it again, you'll see that God has raised up a people that are a people of destiny. And to them are given all kinds of wonderful promises. So you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then from them a family rises up. 
and then a tribe rises up and out of them a nation rises up and they're brought into bondage and then they're brought out of bondage in Egypt and a promise is given to them of land and of rule and of a kingdom and you have a theocracy that is established under Joshua in the book of Judges and then you have the monarchy that arrives out of David and then you have the, the dissipation of that monarchy and the division of that monarchy and then you have the people being cast into exile and you have a suffering and a disobedient remnant that are left at the end of the book. In Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, the story ends without the fulfillment of the purpose and destiny of that people. So you have an unachieved purpose and destiny that you come to at the end of the Old Testament. And, and then if you read through it again, you see that at the very beginning of the book, man is created in the image of God. And he's created in order that he might know and experience a, a deep, abiding companionship and fellowship with God. And you read early on that man sins. And man is separated from God, and man becomes the subject of the cruel outcomes of the spirit of rebellion and sin that roils in him from that point on. And although there are moments at which he seems to be approaching God, all of a sudden he becomes cast down because of temptation and sin, and he's estranged from God all over again. And within his heart that begins to pulsate this desire that he might come back to and realize the spiritual greatness for which he's made, and the longing of his heart is expressed in different passages of scripture, but they're never entirely fulfilled. You don't find them answered in the book of the law. You don't find them answered in the historical books. You don't find them answered in the poetic books. You read them groping and searching for God, and so Job will pray something like, oh, that I knew where I might find him, and oh, that there might be one to mediate for me, but that one that he's seeking for and longing for, and the one that he wants to mediate for him never arrives, the psalmist every once in a while reveals some approach and nearness to God, but most of the passages are a panting and a longing after God that is never entirely met or fulfilled. And so you come to the end of the Old Testament with unsatisfied, deep longings as well. You read through it again. You read and you see in it, all of it, prophecies that begin to be revealed of someone that is coming who will bring an answer to all these things. Someone that will come that will make sense of all of the ceremonies and someone that will come and bring to fulfillment all the purpose and destiny of the people and someone will come and will answer and be the basis of answering all the unsatisfied longings. And even Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, you have the promise of the seed of the woman that will come and crush the serpent's head and you'll read through and you'll see promises of this coming one given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and you'll read his name and the inclinations and the pictures and images of his arrival being portrayed by the different scriptural writings all the way down to the prophet Isaiah. And then when you read the book of Isaiah, you see almost in every single page some indication of the coming of this Messiah, this promised one, this longed for one. And Yet when you come to the end of the book of Malachi, the last of the great prophets before 400 years of silence, Malachi only says this, he shall come, he shall come. And so once again, at the Old Testament ends with unfulfilled prophecies, unexplained ceremonies, unachieved purpose and destiny, unsatisfied longings, unfulfilled prophecies. But now, Zacharias has promised that his son will come to be a prophet who will introduce the coming of the Messiah. And what a grace of God this is. He will start a movement of revelation from God that will show us 
all the answers and how it is that the Messiah will fulfill all the longing and unanswered questions of the Old Testament. He will complete the book in a new book, in a new covenant, in a new testament. And here in Christ, all the ceremonies of the temple and all the sacrifices offered in the temple will be satisfied in him. He will be the one who will explain all the meaning of the temple for he is the temple and he is the priest and he is the sacrifice and he is all that's offered and all that's intimated there and he will fulfill all, in his coming he will fulfill everything that's anticipated and all the various days and holy days and, and festivals of the nation and Christ will come as well and he will sweep the people in, into his glorious kingdom and he will show that one day he will come and reign upon the earth and he becomes the focal point of all the destiny and all the hope of the people as well and when Christ comes, he also will come to answer the deep spiritual longings of people. He'll say that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He'll promise them that he will intercede for them and that he will reconcile them and he will give them peace. And He is the answer to the deep longings of the spirit in men and women. He will come into them and he will be in them and they will be one with him and one with the Father. And He will give them the Holy Spirit. And he'll cleanse them and he'll wash them. And oh, They'll be able to drink of him and never thirst again or they'll never be able to eat of him and have eternal life. Such is this, that Christ promises to answer the great deep longings of men and women. And then this is the one who's been revealed as the Messiah. He is the one who attests to himself in miracle and in fulfillment, in dying, in rising, in reigning, in coming to complete the last strokes of history's story. He is the fulfillment of all these things, everything anticipated. He is the one who brings to us an answer to the unexplained ceremonies. He's the one who explains and gives us purpose and destiny in all things. He's the one who satisfies all the deep longings that are stoked throughout the Old Testament. He's the one who answers every last unfulfilled prophecy. And so the idea and the truth that this son was being born that would be a son that would bring great grace, his name would mean God is gracious. It's the graciousness of God completing his story and all the things that he's prepared us for. Here's a second thing we'll see here. This giving of the word of God and its sounding forward, its prophetic note of clarity is also a gracious gift of God. In other words, John is going to come and he's going to speak God's words again with such clarity to the people of God that they'll know God is speaking to them. And when John comes and speaks, his words are clear, but they're also really sharp. They cut to the hearts of the people. They're words that sting and that confront and call them into confession. Here's an example. Look at Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And listen to the kinds of words that John the Baptist graciously, graciously proclaimed to the multitudes. It says, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then the gospel writers all add or sum up the theme of John's preaching, and his application was always this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn to God, because his kingdom is at hand. It's this confrontation of sin and this call to repentance that's found in the prophetic word of John that exposes the sin in our lives and even pronounces God's judgment against those sins that is 
a wonderful gift of God. It's a grace of God. It's a special and uncommon grace that we do not deserve. In it, God is warning us and calling us away from the consequences that we have sown in our own sins to the gifts that he would give us if we would freely turned to him. It's a call, it's a cry to come and turn to him, and it's a gift of grace, it's a gift of mercy. The cry of a person that comes to realize their sins. And as they begin to realize their sin and realize that there's only an answer for their sin in God himself, they break out in a song. Oh, God, have mercy. Oh, God, have mercy. I have, on a number of occasions in my life, been stirred to intercede for certain individuals, praying that God would break them and take them into himself and bring them to a point of confession and repentance so they might realize the forgiveness that God would give them and they might be liberated from the chains of their own rebellion. They might be set free by being bound to the God of all grace and the God of all love. And anyhow, as I pray for them, and as I go on in that prayer for some time, something has happened to me on more than one occasion, and and that's in the midst of my prayers. I get an image or a picture or an imagination, I think it's a sanctified imagination of a day when they come to cry out to God for mercy and to cry out to God for his grace when there's a spirit of repentance that comes upon them and they begin to weep for their sins and long for his cleansing and, and as I see it and as I picture it in my mind I can't restrain my own tears it's a beautiful vision it's a gracious vision it's a wonderful vision it's God's mercy it's God's grace that reveals to us our sin it's God's mercy and his grace that shows us that there's no answer in ourself. And it's a great day, it's a great time of joy when we realize our sins and we confess it. And so John's name, this one who comes and preaches God's law and man's sin and God's judgment and a coming king, this message is a message of grace. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.